this morning. We are going to the next little section of Acts, which would, would be called a pericope, and uh, begins in Acts 8.26, and you have outlines there you're going to want to look at. It's a fairly big section, Acts 8, 26 through 40. I'm going to let somebody else read this whole section. And Eric, why don't you do it? You've got a good voice. you got a mic. Okay, Eric is going to read the text, Acts 8, 26 through 40, from the ESV. All right. All right, so you, if you want to read along, go ahead, and then we'll pray. And I'll start lecturing. Okay. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he, has led, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to open wa- excuse me to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down to the water philip and the eunuch and he baptized him and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord carried philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing but philip found himself at azotus and as he passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful description of your grace coming to an un- unexpected person in a remote location. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for your saving purposes. Help us understand better what you've said. As we study this together, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a rather long little story, but it's very important in the bigger scheme of Luke-Acts. And I have some great resources, better ones than I ever could have dreamed of 30 years ago, as far as just the quality of the scholarship and some of the work that's been done to help us read and understand what Luke is saying. And so I have a lot of material. This will take take at least this week and next to cover. And so Christy's going out of town. So here's our request. Keep 
the PowerPoint printout. Do not lose it. Do not forget to bring it back. Christy's not here to make more. And we're not going to have any way we can get through it today. Because I looked at my notes yesterday again and a lot of concepts. But I promise you it'll be productive. We're going to learn even more about Luke-Acts. I learned something that I had wrong my whole Christian life about understanding Luke-Acts that I learned in the last month through my studies here. And I'll tell you about that. So let's go to verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Parenthetically, this is a desert road. So we see a number of things going on here. We want to talk about angels, and we'll look up some verses, but there's some irony here. If Philip had to figure out in his own thinking what to do, he would not likely have thought to leave a place of successful evangelism, Samaria, where many people have been saved, and to go somewhere where you're not likely to even find people. Okay, so God sent an angel. This is a supernatural thing, and Philip didn't have any problem evidently knowing this was an angel, but angels are important in Luke-Acts, especially at the beginning of Luke. Luke starts with God sending angels to people, unexpected people, people who normally wouldn't be the leaders, the nobility, the Sanhedrin, the, the kings and the high priest, none of them. But the angel came to ordinary people who didn't expect what happened. People like Zacharias and Mary, shepherds, which, by the way, were perpetually unclean. So they were banned from most of the things that went on because their very duties meant they were Sabbath breakers and unclean in many different ways. And so the angel goes to these shepherds. Now this Ethiopian is another one who's perpetually unclean. Okay? And so in Luke 1 and 2, angels appear, one of which is Zacharias. I'll read that, Luke 1, 13 and 14. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. There's so much going on here. Now, to be one of the Levites who's allowed to actually minister at the temple was something that would happen only once in a lifetime. And if you read this whole Zacharias narrative, a lot of really interesting and eventful things happen with this man. 
but he's an older man, and again, God is coming to someone whom you wouldn't expect, and his wife is going to give birth to the one, John the Baptist, who's going to be the last prophet of the Old Covenant, and who is going to be the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah, and a great prophet, and who will be on the scene of history to announce the coming of Messiah. There's no way Zacharias expected anything like that. In Luke one nineteen, it says in the Greek that the angel was sent to euangelizo Zacharias. Now, we've seen that term before, to gospel or evangelize. So the angel came to evangelize Zacharias. And God was doing a great work. Now, another example of an angel coming at the inception of Messianic salvation, coming on the scene of history to unexpected people, is found in Luke 1 and verse 30. In Luke 1 and verse 30, and then there are many other verses there, but it's about Mary, the Virgin Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now, in this, found favor is something that reminds us of a lot of things that have happened in the Bible. Unexpected people find favor with God. I think of Noah, if you want to go all the way back to Genesis. It said Noah found favor with God when God came and told him to build the ark. Noah found favor, so Mary does. So by an appearance of an angel to Philip, Luke's readers are being told that salvation is coming to someone. That's what you find out in Luke-Acts. Salvation is coming. If you're a good reader, you'd be thinking that. Oh, an angel comes like he did in Luke 1 and 2. God's going to save somebody. Now, angels appear earlier in Luke. You just want to think about the reading. It's amazing. Remember the James and John we talked about wanting to call down fire and like Elijah would with the prophets of Baal consume the Samaritans and we've seen that God's intention was to save Samaritans not burn them all up angels are not summoned to judge God's en- enemies in Luke Acts that's for the second advent angels are summoned to show that salvation's coming and to announce it. So, the term angel is found 14 times in Luke Acts. In the Greek, angel is angelos, that means messenger. And so, when we get to Acts 10, when Peter is used to bring the gospel to God-fearing Gentiles, Angels are important again. So people get distracted by wanting to debate 
things like, well, maybe people walking around today are angels and we just don't know it. And they try to figure out th questions that aren't even raised here or discussed. And our minds go all kinds of places that absolutely do not help us understand what God said. We don't need to theorize about what angels are, which ones are wandering around today, if they are at all. There was no question here, this was the angel of the Lord. Philip didn't question it. There was something that helped him know that. We just need to know what Luke is telling us. We need to learn how to read. What is Luke telling us? Well, angels keep showing up, and their point is to announce the coming of salvation is what I would say. Yeah, you go to these uh, Christian bookstores today, and you'll see aisles and aisles of books on angels, which you look at these books, and they're not describing angels as the Bible describes angels. And uh, it seems that whenever the Bible talks about angels, there's either real good things that happen, i.e. salvation, or there's bad things that Judgment. happen. So, you know, a lot. Yeah, people think that, I hear a lot, there's a lot of books out there that people die and they think they turn into angels. Or, you know, there's just a, a lot of wacky stuff out there in regards to uh, angels. Okay. It's either Here, good or bad. Okay, good point. People lust for what God hasn't revealed. And in their lust for secret knowledge, they totally fumble the ball to use a football analogy. How do they fumble the ball? They don't even bother to figure out what Luke had in mind. And so, for example, just read the narrative unity of Luke Acts by Robert Tannehill. That was a revolutionary book for me. I've got some material I brought along. And I was told about it in the 90s when I was in seminary. And one of my professors said, if you want to understand Luke Acts, this is the seminal work. It's the best work. And it is. I've read it twice, Tannehill. And Tannehill's concern is what's Luke's point? Now, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit? Luke. So we need to know what his point is. Luke was a brilliant writer, very, very good in Greek, and able to explain things. One of the things that's been noticed is if you take the scrolls, how much could be put on a, the type of scroll that they would use? What could fit on one scroll is fine. You know, they pack it all in there. Luke, what would fit on another? Acts. Same amount of material, if you look at the Greek. Luke wrote both, and he used all the room he had on two scrolls to write in Greek. Luke, the physician, very well-educated, very articulate, and if I'm able to do this, I've been doing this now for over 10 years, not continually, but 10 years total, I would love to take this material and make it understandable for the church. And that's my goal. That's why we've been preaching. And I've been doing Luke Acts. I want you to understand. 
because what it does say is so great, it's so exciting, it's so wonderful that it needs to be said. And rather than, oh, what about this problem? What about that problem? I don't see problems. I see God speaking to us. I don't see this as a problem. God used angels to announce the coming of salvation. So an angel tells Philip to go there. He wouldn't have gone any other reason. Why are you going to go out to Gaza in a remote location when people are coming to Christ right where you are? Well, God had a plan. So, Acts 8, 27. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So now we know the person is Ethiopian. He was an important person in Ethiopia, and he was God-fearing. So he wasn't Jewish, but he was God-fearing. In Acts 10, the gospel will come to other God-fearing Gentiles. So this is the first. And he was in charge of her treasure. And he had already been to Jerusalem to worship. Now, there's some things that we know about him, about eunuchs. They were considered permanently unclean in regard to temple worship. Who has the mic? Could you read Deuteronomy 23.1? Eric, i got to tell a story about us. We were recording radio a couple weeks ago. I, you remember what, you know what I'm going to talk about? No. All right, well, don't get too embarrassed. No. <laughs> I goofed up too. This, I, I brought up this Ethiopian. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so I, we were recording radio. We're really getting into it. And Eric said, yeah, there was this Ethiopian Enoch. And he said it like three times. And he said, well, and I wrote a paper about this Ethiopian Enoch. Well, then I decided to say it so that he'd know what we meant to say. So we're recording radio. And I said, I need that help a lot. I said, I said uh, but I got it wrong, too. Here's what happened. Because later I had to dump the whole thing off the recording. When I said it, I said the Philippian eunuch. <laughs> so he got the first part right and the last part wrong. And then I got the first part wrong and the last part right. So I'm editing and I go, delete. This cannot be salvaged. <laughs> So today, Eric and I, now well-educated, yes. are going to talk about Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, Deuteronomy 23.1. Deuteronomy 23.1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, so this guy would not be allowed to enter. Even had he been Jewish, he would have been on the out because that would have made him unclean. In the Old Testament, Ethiopia was not what we consider Ethiopia today, 
but it was Kush. It's called Kush. At least that's what the scholars tell me. Now, the people of Kush were considered to be about as far to the end of the earth as they knew about. And so they were black people. So here we have someone who's a very unusual person. From Kush, he's black, he's a eunuch, but he's wealthy, and he loves the God of Israel, and he's so wealthy, we'll find out he even owns his own scroll of Isaiah, which would have been a precious thing to have. Now, I told you about Tannehill. I think I'll give you an example of why he's so good. Let me just read a little quote from Robert Tannehill. They convinced me I've been wrong about this for a long, long time. Right? Quoting Tannehill, this, the scene is important for what it anticipates and symbolizes rather than for its consequences. It is prophetic of the gospel's reach, says Tannehill. In this scene, Philip is richly endowed with characteristics of prophet and preacher of the word previously attributed to the apostles. He receives instructions from an angel and the spirit, 8, 26, 29. And when his task is complete, he's snatched away by the spirit like the prophets Elijah and Ezekiel. Philip can disclose the hidden references to Jesus Christ in scripture, just as Peter does in his preaching after his mind was opened by the risen Lord, Luke twenty four forty five. As one who is divinely directed, Philip's acts with authority. Although there might be hindrances to baptism of this eunuch in the eyes of many, Philip responds to his request by baptizing him without consulting the apostles. This is a big deal. He's baptizing a Gentile who was ceremonially unclean perpetually. And so God used Philip, a Hellenist, to do what God wanted to do as revealed in Acts 1.8. Here's where I've been wrong. The conviction that the Ethiopians lived at the ends of the earth is well documented in ancient literature. So let me tell you what I learned. Acts 1.8 says, this programmatic for Acts, you'll be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be uh, witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I've always believed that meant Rome because Acts ends in Rome, but it doesn't. This sequence already happens by Acts 8. Already the gospel has been in Jerusalem, where Peter preached, Judea, where the apostles went preaching and people were saved, Samaria, we just learned that one, there where Philip preached, people were saved, the apostles came, and they received the Holy Spirit, and now it's going to Ethiopia. This is the end of the earth. Rome was not the end of the earth. It was the center of the known world. Ethiopia was the end of the earth. 
in their thinking. Dr. Parsons says Ethiopia was viewed by people of antiquity as lying at the southernmost end or limit of the earth. So God is using Philip in the ways he used many other unexpected people in Luke and in Acts to bring the gospel through one person to the end of the earth. So now we know in Luke 8, the gathering demoniac in this Gentile territory was as unclean as anybody could ever be. Demon-possessed, chained up in a cemetery. The demons are many, and when they go out, they go into a herd of swine, unclean. They die in the sea, scary place you don't want to go. It's all bad, 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 bad. And Jesus, who had just calmed the sea that they were afraid of, delivered the demoniac who was in horrible condition. And then after that, in Luke 8, he raises the dead. The dead are unclean. It's all bad. And Jesus has authority over the worst of the worst of the worst. And Luke is telling us in Luke 8, nothing is too hard. Nobody is too lost. Nobody is too wretched. Nobody is too without hope or in such a bad state that Jesus Christ cannot deliver them and save them and bring them into his kingdom. It's not hopeless. I try to tell that to people who email us. And interestingly, some people think Jesus delivers us from Satan in all the ordinary cases, but if you have a really bad case, then you need a professional exorcist. Well, they haven't read Luke Acts. The gathering is telling us that there's nobody too bad off that Jesus can't deliver them. Some people, the technology people, say, no, what Jesus is doing is showing us you got to know the name of the demon or it won't go out. That's what they learn. Is that Luke's point? See, learn how to read. Is Luke telling us technology for shamans? No. So why legion? Why did Jesus ask the name? And it's legion. Because in the big scheme of Luke Acts, the gathering is the worst. He's insane. Chains won't hold him. He's in a cemetery. Cemeteries, unclean. Unclean spirits. The reason for the legion? To make it even worse. Not to show a technology. And so if the worst case situation ever even conceived, well, you might say that hadn't happened yet when the gathering was healed in Acts 8. Well, it happens in Acts 8 when the dead are raised. You say the dead are worse off. Well, even Jesus had power over death. So God is telling us Jesus can deliver anybody. The exorcists are saying, no, you need technology. They don't call it that. You need to know this, you need to do that, you need to say this. Yes. You know, um, just tying into that, a eunuch, not an Enoch, a eunuch ah, is a... <laughs> both of us <laughs> thank learned you, something. Thank you. And he's not from Philippi. Right, he's right. from Ethiopia. Uh, we'll have to do that again. <laughs> but the, the eunuch, you can't get any more cursed than a eunuch. Um, and one of the reasons why they're not allowed in the temple is because anything that 
demonstrates death or isn't life-giving can't be in the presence of God. That's why those who have skin conditions that look like leprosy, leprosy yeah. because that looks like death, you can't be in the presence of the life-giving God. It's, it's misrepresentation of the life-giving God. So what's interesting is a eunuch, you can't get any more cursed than that because they couldn't have children. They couldn't be in the presence of God. Well, then to tie into how much more cursed is he, talk about the goyim, the nations. They're far from God. What's the furthest away you could get? Cush. Cush. So you can't get any further and more <laughs> separated from God. But yet in Isaiah 56. Yeah, I was going to have you read verses 4 and 5. Yeah. But if you have more, go ahead. And that's what you wrote a paper about. Exactly. All right. Well, We're going to get this right. Okay, go okay, ahead. Yeah. What's so beautiful is right after the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, God starts to show that his salvation will go to those who were formerly cursed, who are really far off. And you see that in Isaiah 56. And like you said, Bob, it's right in uh, verses 4 and 5. In fact, I'll just back up one verse, verse 3. This is Isaiah 56, 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely separate me from this people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. So what matters is faith and obedience. Who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So if anyone ever challenges you about the goodness of God and say, hey, if you're a eunuch, how could you help that? You were cut off from God's people. You couldn't enter the temple. There's the answer. Ultimately, from God's blessing, what matters is faith and obedience. And here in Acts, God shows that he's going to reach out to these lost And it's no accident that he's reading from Isaiah 53. Exactly. Because Isaiah, right after that, is when there's prophecy, not too far after that, that God's going to save them. I need a mic over here. I've always wondered about um, Matthew 19, um, verses 10 to 12, where um, Jesus is talking about eunuchs. Some will make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I don't understand all of that. You know, I preached on that one time. What, what did I say back then? It was about 15 years ago. Eric, do you have a good reading on that one? Oh, those who made themselves unique for the kingdom. This, yeah. yeah, you know, um, at the end of the day, what matters, I, I don't know, um, I'd have to read it as well. It just I'll read it here. Luke 19, 12, it says, For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. I think the issue is about sexual immorality. And I, I don't think everyone's gifted in the ability to restrain themselves, and therefore they should be married is one of the, the issues. But the, the eunuch, the reason why some were made eunuchs like this Ethiopian was because they posed no threat to the harem of the king, or yeah. in this case it would have been to the make, queen. Um, so they're not dangerous. Yeah. Because the the kings didn't trust people. So by somebody, when they were real young, being made a eunuch, they could be in the court, and they weren't too worried about them. They could trust them. So uh, I'm not saying I have a definitive answer about that. Matthew, I haven't looked at that one for many, many years. But we do know what's going on here. God's sending the gospel to the end of the earth by his spirit. 
and he's using again an angel and he uses Philip and he uses the scripture. Verses 28 and 29. And he was returning, where? From Jerusalem. This is the eunuch. And sitting in his chariot, it was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So now we have the Holy Spirit again. So that he owned a copy of a biblical book shows both his wealth and his piety. A biblical book had to be copiously and carefully hand-copied from another written one. And it was a long, long process. So hardly anybody actually owned one of these scrolls. And that he had spent his money to have one showed how precious the God of Israel was to him and how he wanted to learn the truth. So here was a person with his own copy. So in God's providence, Philip is sent to this remote location. Providence is an important doctrine that should comfort us. The man happened, as we will see, to be reading from Isaiah 53. And God put Philip there at the perfect time and the perfect place. I have really been comforted and have learned a lot as a Christian since I did a more comprehensive study on the doctrine of providence in the, probably in the 90s when I was in seminary. It's a very comforting doctrine. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, 40 years ago, I thought we had to learn how to get personal revelations from God so we'd go to the right place. And, of course, I was never sure what those were. And we're always trying to look to the subjective. And we don't know exactly what this, how the Spirit said what he did and Philip knew what it was. But again, this is not about technology. It's about God's purposes. On the scene of history, we just make our decisions. But I have seen literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times where I ended up at the right place at the right time with the right message. And it wasn't because a committee told me, go do this or that. I'm not against committees. I'm just saying that wasn't how it happened. God gets us to the right place at the right time with the right message. We just need to be willing to preach the gospel. We don't know who we're going to meet. We don't know where we're going to be. We don't know how that's going to work. But he does it. The people that we've been counseling through our internet ministry are almost all taught that what they need is secret information so that they'll be successful. The other day I saw something called a camp meeting, so I turned it on. All this same false teaching. 
If you learn how to hear God, you're going to have money. You're going to have supernatural power and money, and you're going to pay all your bills, and you're going to be like Peter and find a gold coin in the fish's mouth. Well, I, I'll tell you what I got from the fish's mouth. An infected finger. I had to go on antibiotics. I haven't found the gold coin yet. And I'm not wealthy. But you know what? God still uses us for the, with the gospel. And how many times do people say, oh, that sermon or that Bible class, it was just what I needed. It's what I needed to know. It was the question I was at. Well, God arranges all that. It's just part of providence. We have to be faithful to teach the word. And what's crucial here, as we will see, is that when Philip gets there, that he knows what Isaiah 53 is saying about the gospel. God took care of everything else. The angel told him to go there. He went to, the Spirit told him to go to the chariot. The man's reading from Isaiah, and he will preach the gospel. That's, what, that's our part. We better be ready. Okay, let's go to the next passage and talk about that. Acts 8, 30 and 31. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. Now, this is a very accurate detail. These scrolls were very much run together. They wanted to get as much material as they could on a scroll. Real fine handwriting in Greek squished together. He was reading from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. And it was customary, even if you're reading by yourself, to read out loud, to reinforce what you're reading, to make sure you got it right. So this is not of the goofy detail. It's what happened. So he was reading out loud. So he heard him reading, and he said, do you understand what you're reading. Now, in English, understand and reading don't sound very much like the same word at all. But in the Greek, he says, do you know, gnosko, what you're reading, ana gnosko. Reading is the word for know with a prefix. So gnosko, ana gnosko. So it kind of uh, rhymes in Greek. And the eunuch says, well, how could I, unless someone guides me. By the way, I just thought of a detail. Remember it said of Candace, Queen Candace? Candace was a title for a series of rulers. So like in Rome, if somebody said Caesar, that's maybe what you would call the one that you have right now. But he's not the only Caesar. Caesar Augustus and so on so in Ethiopia the Candace was literally the title of a series of rulers it says in the Greek Candace I think it says here's the one who currently is the queen of Ethiopia the end of the earth 
And so he says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Wow, wow, wow. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So the scrolls there, the Ethiopians there, Philip's there. Philip knows the gospel. Philip certainly knows Isaiah 53. And how am I going to understand unless somebody guides me? You see, if we love the truth, we will embrace it when guided to it. Dear saints, we can't make somebody love the truth that doesn't. That's what we get wrong in modern evangelicalism. People study sociology, psychology, human dynamics, and they do everything they can to figure out what makes different people tick and what it is they need and what it is they want in their own mind. And the idea is that if we give people whatever it is they want in their terms, then they'll all become Christian. But the fact is that not everybody loves the truth. In a few weeks, I'll preach on that over in the sermon. From Acts, I'm going to mention John 8. And if we don't love the truth, we'll get angry when we hear it. All right? Our job is to preach the truth. It's the Holy Spirit who makes people love it. If they hate it, that's not unusual. It's typical. That's what happened to Jesus. He spoke the truth, and they hated him. But we need to preach it. Now, how could I, unless somebody guides me? Eric, as long as you got a mic, could you turn to Luke 24, 25 through 27? Sure. Okay. If you read Luke Acts, there's repeated things that happen. This event with the Ethiopian eunuch is an, gives us an echo of Luke 24, something Jesus did. Luke 24, 25 through 27. Eric. It says, and he said to him, or to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, there's the divine necessity day, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you like to hear that sermon? They didn't have digital audio recording back then. In case you didn't know. But wouldn't it be great? See, they were saying, where have you been? Don't you know what happened here? We thought we found the prophet. And look what happened. They did all these things to him. And here's Jesus. They're telling Jesus what happened to Jesus. And he says, oh, slow to heart. When are you going to believe? What was it they should have believed? The Messiah would suffer, like it says in Isaiah 53, and be raised from the dead. Oh, yes. So, Luke 24, 31, he opened their eyes. And in verse 32, he opened the scriptures. Yeah, I, boy, there's so many things we could talk about. But if you look at Luke 24, 31 and 32, if you look at it in the Greek, 
There's a play on words. It says he opened their eyes, and then using the same word, he opened the scriptures. They had a love for the truth. Later they said, our hearts were burning within us. Oh, I've experienced that. When I hear the truth of the gospel preached, my heart burns with joy. Wow. Somebody is actually preaching the true gospel. And it's clear. And it's powerful. And that should be what we respond to. So this is what happened with Jesus. And then uh, let me read some here in Luke 24, which is a little, is it something that's echoed here in Acts 8. Now he said to them, Jesus that is, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Divine necessity. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 46, Luke 24. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. The Ethiopian is one who's from all the nations, or he's from the furthermost one, showing that Jerusalem is reached and Ethiopia is reached. Everything in between will too. That's what we're supposed to see. That's what we're supposed to learn. Don't you love the Bible? Let's get to another slide here. Look at what he was reading. Acts 8, 32 and 33. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. Quote, he was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. That's what he was reading. That's part of God's providence. He was reading a passage that opened the door for Philip to preach the gospel. He even asked, how am I going to understand if somebody doesn't guide me? Who's going to tell me what this means? In Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus cited Isaiah 53 as messianic. I'll read that to you. Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. Quote, and he was numbered with the transgressors for that which refers to me as his fulfillment. He was numbered with his transgressors. He was silent. His life was taken away. Literally in the Greek Septuagint, is lifted up. There's a double entendre going on there. Lifted up. It can mean lifted up unto death 
on the cross, or it can mean lifted up, same word, into exaltation and glory. It turns out both things happen. Jesus was lifted up. When I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And he was also lifted up into heaven before witnesses. Bodily ascended into heaven. Acts 1.9. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So a double meaning there. Lifted up, he died. Lifted up, he's raised and glorified. Can you imagine this? This we've got to understand what's being said. It's got to sink in. We got to listen to Jesus. Let this sink into your ears. What is this? God keeps His promises. The gospel is for all people, in all places. The gospel is for people who are shamed and humiliated. Being a Gentile eunuch from Cush, this man, in the eyes of the Jews at the temple, was shamed. But he's reading a passage for himself that talks about the humiliation of the servant of Yahweh. He uses this word humiliation. Humiliation was something any eunuch would have experienced. But here, the sufferer mentioned by Jesus went through that. So this explanation will give the open door for the gospel to go to this man who's from the end of the earth. Let me give you an application. I did a study on this months ago when I was preparing this. I always like to stay as far ahead as I can. And um, one of the things I thought about was this. I thought about this guy and then the gathering. In both cases, one person who was saved by Jesus ends up going to a people group. Remember, the gathering wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to take, be part of, be a disciple and go with Jesus back into Israel. He'd been chained up in the tombs where, where he lived. Okay? Jesus said, no, go tell your people what God did for you. He was sent into that region of the Gentiles with the gospel. Here, this Ethiopian... One person, I'll give you a little preview for next week, is saved and sent to Ethiopia. Philip didn't say, don't bother going back there. It's a pagan place. Come with me and we'll go back and work with the apostles. No, he went on. I'll give you a preview. He goes on his way rejoicing. You want to do your own study? Look up rejoicing in the Bible, especially Luke S, and see what it's connected with. What is it that causes rejoicing? We'll answer that next week. Don't lose your outlines. <laughs> Nobody's around to make a new one. Bring this one with you. We got a few more minutes, but yes. 
real quick wanted to say, I listened to this, <clears throat> the Patriot radio station, and on there, there's a company that uh, advertises for uh, sermons. So a pastor can go to this company and download their sermons. So Eric, as a, Eric, they're <laughs> on to us. <laughs> so as a company, as you move forward, you've got to come up with other things to be uh, attractive to your users. So I ask, what would be the next thing that this company could offer? Class? Class? Anyone? That would be sermon illustrations. Okay? So I'm listening to this ad, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Sermon illustrations and anecdotes on top of... So now you don't even tell your no, own story. You, there you go. So anyway, I want to contrast that to I walk into Bob's house a few weeks ago, and I go into the, the lower level, and if you've ever... Look, you walk into Bob's, and on the, in the big office area, there's all fishing stuff and all that over here, and then his big office with the... With the, with the computers and the notes and the books and the this and the that. And uh, it's uh, organized chaos, I'm sure. Right, Bob? Okay. So anyway, I He's sit down. giving away my secret. And this was, this was a couple weeks before he did his uh, uh, Who is the Liar uh, sermon, okay, a couple weeks ago. And I, I look down on his desk, and there's, I think it was just one or two verses, okay, of that. And I look, and, and I said, well, what's that, Bob? And he said, well, there's a sermon coming up. And on there is those two verses, but the whole thing is broken down into the original Greek text. And I say to myself, wow, what a contrast to somebody that's got to get the sermon from somebody else and then know. use their own sermon illustrations to what I'm seeing right here. And I'm sure Eric does probably the same thing. So I, I want to say we're very blessed to have uh, uh, teachers that care for the flock, that love us enough to take the time and effort to go back to that original text and give us the true word of God because it ain't happening out there. Well, I appreciate the encouragement. Let me, let me tell you an application that I believe I was convicted about from this text right here. And I was editing stuff to put up on the radio, and I was in Luke 8, and I was thinking about the gathering. This shows us this to me. How important is one person? We might think, well, if you want to evangelize Cush, you're going to choose a eunuch? who's unclean and cursed and humiliated, no matter how much money he had. And Luke Acts, money doesn't give you honor. The tax gatherers were rich, and they were shamed. So what is the point? What about the gathering? God will use one person to evangelize a whole territory. And it doesn't have to be a professional preacher. Because this guy is how God reached the end of the earth. Here's my application. I get emails from all over the world. CIC goes all over the world. I can't go all over the world. I can hardly breathe when I'm here. <laughs> so, 
what I decided to do was I get emails from all these people and I always respond to them, but I picked a couple that I put a lot of time into, just a couple. I can't do that with all of them or I would just quit, I couldn't do it. I'd quit answering emails. I answered them all, but I put a lot of time into a couple for two reasons. Number one, I'm learning. What are people thinking? Where are they getting this thinking? I'm finding out they think pagan and they're getting it from false teachers. And I have spent weeks now, in a couple of cases, helping certain ones develop a Christian worldview. Now Eric's doing that with one. And I'm thinking that one might be the Ethiopian eunuch. Wherever they are in the world, if they get the gospel right, and they learn how to read, and they learn what God said, because look at this, both here and Luke 24, they're learning how to read. What are you reading? Why well, can't I understand it? Who's going to guide me? The road to Emmaus. Well, what is this all about? Here's the one I was about to guide them. So when we guide someone, wherever they may be in the whole world, that is sending the gospel to their whole realm of friends and people. So this text influenced how I do things with critical issues commentary. I can't do that with everybody, but I could with one of these people. And I just trust, I choose one, I trust the providence of God that was the right one. And then the material that gets created by answering questions, we turn into teachings that we present here to put out to to everybody that wants to listen. So, as we close... Next week, we'll pick this up. Bring back your outline. We need to know that God uses his providential plan to reach the people that he wants to reach using unexpected vessels. This guy is about as unexpected as anybody you can imagine. And Eric and I learned something. It's a eunuch, not an Enoch or a Philippian. And God used him. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and loving uh, ways of showing your salvation to people who could never know or never understand. But you brought a way and you brought salvation. Thank you for giving us a love for your truth and a desire to learn more. And may we keep being like that Ethiopian and want to know what it is that you've said and what it means and how we can live it. Help us do that, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen.